I was uh, hoping for a little less of an introduction. I always like to set the standard low and over-deliver and not have him set the standard high and disappoint people. I was watching this video, and I was laughing because the only thing I could think about is Pastor Troy thinking about that phone ringing in the background. And I'm sure he said to whoever was in the house, yo, why didn't y'all turn the phone off? I told you that I was going to record a video. So uh, I just want to say thank you again uh, for Pastor Troy for this opportunity. As, as he said, this is my uh, first time preaching, so I'm going to be nervous just a tad bit. I've got a lot of scriptures to go through, so I'm going to try to do that really, really fast. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I am a little heavier than I was a few days ago, uh, and I hadn't made it to the gym in quite some time. So I hope to see Ken this this week. Uh, I'm working night shifts, so it kind of adjusted my schedule, but I definitely plan on being there this week to work off everything that I have put on and pre-work off everything that I will put on in the Christmas season. That is the plan for now. So this morning we're going to talk about something that I, I think is very important and I think is critical to us as Christians. And the question I'm asking you today is, who do you say he is? Because ultimately that is the most important thing. We sung the last song they sung is the great I am. Moses, as he was arguing with God, kind of like we do when God gives us instructions, he said, well, listen, who am I supposed to say that he is. When I go before Pharaoh, what, what am I supposed to say? If he asked me, who is this person that sent me, what am I supposed to say? And God said, you are to tell him I am. And I am is all encompassing. It says in some translations, I am that I am, which means whatever you need me to be in whatever moment in time or whatever struggle you have in life, that's who I am. And so us as believers really need to dig into the word and find out who he is, because who we say he is is more important than anything else. So we'll turn to Matthew chapter 16. We'll start at verse 13. I'm reading out of the NIV version. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. And if I see lights on, because most people don't carry a Bible anymore, it'll be up on the screen if you don't have it. And he says in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his, his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they reply, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. See, I'm convinced we've gone through a very long 18 months of political cycle, and one of the things that you see on all of the channels is, well, Trump is doing well against in this group, and Clinton is doing well in, in this group, and, and, against co and, and with college-educated folks, uh, they're doing this way, and against non-college-educated folks, this is what the numbers are. And so I'm convinced Jesus really wasn't concerned about his poll numbers. He wasn't asking the disciples this question so he could figure out, well, how am I doing among the Philistines and how am I doing among the Sadducees and how am I doing among the Pharisees? What he really wanted to know is who the disciples said he was because Jesus said in John 5, 32, there is another who, there's another who testifies in my favor and I know that his testimony about me is true. So he's not really concerned about what other people say he is. He's concerned about who you say he is. Jesus was interested in who his disciples thought he was. He knew the mission the disciples had to accomplish after his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And for that mission to be accomplished, they had they needed to be sure who he was and the power that he has as a result of that. It's important that we understand that God can only operate in our lives to the extent that we allow him to, to the place in his life that he gives us, to the time that we spend learning who he is. In the King James Version of Ephesians 3.20, he says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we can ever ask or think, but it's according to his power that's at work where? In us. It's the power of God that's working inside of us. There's a Bible passage that I love in, in Acts 19, and it's about the seven sons of Sceva. And I'm sure I'm butchering that name, but I've, I've said it for Sceva the last 18 years, so I'm not going to try to change it right now. And he says, some Jews went around trying to drive out all evil spirits, and they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And so that's the question that the enemy is going to ask us. You understand something? Jesus he knows, and Pastor Troy he may know, and Matt he may know, and Dale he may know. But who does he say, who, do, who are you to him? Who are you to the enemy? What power do you have over him in your kingdom? It's important that you understand we can't make it on what some say he is. We can only make it on what we say he is. Who do we say he is? Conquering the spiritual battles ahead of us is based on the divine revelation that we have of, of God. Not in the name of Jesus that your mama may know. You know, I'm sure my mother prayed for me, and she always told me my grandmother prayed for me too. But that doesn't have anything to do with my success as a Christian. What has to do with my success as a Christian is who I say God is. How much time am I spending learning who he is, understanding who he is, understanding who he is through his word? That's what's the most important thing that we do. The power that worketh in us is based on what we say. Do you call him El Shaddai, which means he's the Lord God Almighty, over everything in your life? Do you call him Jehovah Rapha? When you have a physical ailment, what do you say he is? He's got names to tell us who he is. When you have a financial challenge, do you say he's Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord that provides? I faced the financial challenge myself. I told you. I was out of work for six months. And if you've never been out of work for six months, I don't recommend it. I don't think it's something you should aspire to do. But I'm telling you, when you are out of work, you have one choice and one choice only as a believer. And that's to trust the word of God. So what I did every day is I got up and I've got about seven or eight core scriptures that I had to say over my life every single day. The first one is simple. I know that God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. The next one was in Psalms when he says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor is he begging for bread. Every single day I would say that. And I, and I would say, God, I thank you that it's your blessing that makes me rich and you add no sorrow to it. Because the one thing that doesn't change, even though our circumstances and our situations change, is the word of God. It is always powerful and effective and it always works. And in your time of testing, that is what's critical that you refer back to. You've got to refer back to the word. Do you call him Jehovah Shalom, which means he's the Lord of peace? I was with my family the last, uh, we left on Tuesday nights, a 13-hour trip. I'm probably three hours away from Pastor Troy. I grew up in Chester, Pennsylvania. And my mom passed away in August of this year. And one of the things I promised myself is that I, I would spend time with my sister. My sister, she's the only sister I have. And I probably spent 20 years away from home, not 
that I didn't want to go back home. It's just we get busy. You have a family, and you don't cherish the relationships that God has given you. And so I went back home to see all my family. And one of the things that I prayed on the way is for peace. Because I don't know about you guys, but I have a, a, what's the proper word to use here? Crazy family. Uh, All of us have that, those one or two or three or four or 20 people that we really don't like to introduce to folks, right? When when people ask you, can you come over? No, you know, the house is not clean. Or no, this person won't be there. We have people in our family that propose challenges to us. And so one of the things I did was I I prayed for peace because I have a a special cousin and um, she's almost 50, but you wouldn't know it by the way she acts. She's 50 going on probably 25. And so I just had, I always pray peace. And it's it's an amazing thing that happened. You know what I had? Peace. I didn't have to worry. I didn't have to worry about her saying anything crazy to my wife. Because my wife has not yet been integrated into my side of the family. I told you I didn't go back for 20 years, and I've been married for 18, so you can do the math. We try to make sure she doesn't get exposed to certain segments of the family so she stays with me. But we had peace. We had peace the whole trip, and we had a wonderful time. Because I choose to speak the word over my circumstances. In life, you will have an opportunity to either exalt your circumstances or exalt who God is. And as believers, we've got to focus on who God is. Because that six months that I was out of work, as I said when I was doing offering, I didn't miss one meal. Nothing got cut off. Every bill we had was paid. And quite frankly, right now, we have more money than we had when I was working a full-time job. And I can't, listen, God does whatever he says he will do. If we link up with him in faith, The more we speak his word, the more we say his word, the more we confess his word, the more he moves, because that's what he moves based on what we say, because his promises are yes and amen. The question is, do you believe in those promises? Do you say that those promises are true for you? Do we exalt exalt who he is over our situations, or do we exalt our circumstances? As believers, the, the Bible tells us to say unto the mountain. Be thou removed and cast into the sea. He says, speak to the mountain. Don't speak about the mountain. Listen, as great of a communicator as I am, there's nothing I can do about your problems. You telling me about your problems really has no effect on your life. But you going to him saying, God, I have this challenge. I have this issue. And based on this issue, your word says this. So I need you to move based on your word. We spend way too much time talking to people about our issues. And guess what? This is a great quote I heard. 80% of the people you tell about your problems don't care. They don't, okay? And 20% of them are happy it's you. So you do the math. In most cases, 100% of the people we're talking to about our issues, they don't care. They listen, and they'll give you, oh, I'll pray for you, or, oh, I'm so sorry. But, again, the person that can fix the problems is God Almighty. Through his word. So we've got to focus on on his word. Who he is can't be taught by someone else. It's only revealed to us through time spent seeking God, through prayer, and through fasting. That's why I like verse 17 of Matthew 16. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but it's my father who's in heaven that showed you who I am. So what does that mean? 
if who he is is based on someone else's revelation, you will at best be a diminished copy of that person. At best, if, if all you know of God is based on what Pastor Troy teaches from the pulpit, then at best you can be a diminished copy of who he is. Because every time you make a copy of something, it gets worse and worse. So we have to have that revelation for ourselves. We have to take time reading. We have to take time praying. We do have to spend maybe one or two days a year pushing the plate away for 24 hours. It's not that difficult because some things only happen through prayer and fasting. So the question is really how bad do we want it? How invested are we in our spiritual development? How bad do we want to see God remove the thing that has been bothering us? How bad do we want to see our children live a righteous life? How bad do we want to see our marriage healed, whole, and well? Well, the only way that I see and have seen that it can happen is through our pursuit of God to discover who he is because he's promised us victory in every situation and every circumstance in our life. You have to go to the Father to know who he is. He will reveal who he is to you in his personal study. I like something that Paul said. Everybody know who the Apostle Paul is. He's almost single-handedly responsible for the New Testament church. And he says something that I found interesting in Philippians. In Philippians 3, 7, and 10, he said, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He said, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of the resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him unto death. Paul said something. He said, listen, everything that I've ever done, he was one of the greatest. He said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, trained in the best schools, knew the law. And he said, everything that I knew, I now count that garbage. Everything he'd know before Christ, he says, listen, that's all garbage. All of my education, all of the things that I've gotten, all of the homes I own, all of the vehicles I drive, this wonderful job I have. Listen, we can forget all that. What I really want to do is know him. And the second thing I thought was even more phenomenal is everything he'd done after Christ, who he was as an apostle, how he established the New Testament church. He said, forget all of that, too. What I need to do in my life is to know who Christ is. And if the apostle Paul found that to be the most important issue of his life, I would think that that's something that we would want to know too. I like the definition of what know is. It says to be fully acquainted with his nature, his character, his work, and with the salvation which he has worked out. Fully acquainted with who he is, his character, and the salvation that he's worked out. In Robertson's word picture dictionary, it says to have a personal acquaintance or experience with. Notice the word personal. We're never going to get away from personal. It's great that we come together on Sundays. It's phenomenal because this is where we get the fuel to go out during the week and help others. But us getting to know him happens when we leave here. It's what we do at home. It's who we surround ourselves with. It's the time we spend in his presence. It's the time we spend listening to sermons. It's the time we spend listening to Christian music. It's the time that we spend 
outside of these walls because this is not the church. Ultimately, this is a collection of good friends. All of us know each other. We all believe the same thing. We all want to accomplish the same things. The church is what happens outside of these walls. And the equipment that we need to be successful outside of these walls is on us. I saw Ken at the gym. I can't, I can't remember when it was, uh, probably about two weeks ago. And, man, he's on the treadmill killing it, like doing 70. I don't know how fast he can turn that thing up. I mean, he's, he's killing it in there, and he's lifting weights. And I, I'm just trying to keep up with him. But the one thing I do know is just because he showed up to the gym, if I show up to the gym and watch him work out, no power for me. I'm just watching him. And so a lot of times we come into church and we watch others experience God. But that doesn't do anything for us. We have to be invested personally in our relationship with God. Paul said there's nothing I've accomplished and nothing I could ever have is more important to me than knowing who he is. So the question really is, what's more important to you than knowing who God is? Who are you going to say he is? So I've got some stats, and I, I believe these stats to be true. The average person spends 4.7 hours per day on their cell phone. I see some teenagers in here, and I've got two of them at home. And so my daughter, the, my daughter, and I have to say my daughter because we make our son leave his cell phone downstairs. That's the only reason why this doesn't happen. My daughter sleeps with her cell phone. Under the covers, like a baby. She covers it up. The first thing she does in the morning when she wakes up, I think it's Instagram that you know, you double tap, you like, you double tap, you whatever, all that Snapchat, all of that. First thing in the morning, and I, her room is above our room, so I can hear her at night, either FaceTiming or on the phone. She is an expert as to iPhone technology. But if I ask her in the morning, have you read your Proverbs? She, she, you know, she didn't have time. Uh, I mean, even though she was on the phone all day, she didn't have three to five minutes. Just it don't, it, Not 4.7 hours, three to five minutes to read your Proverbs. Why? It's priority. What's our priority? Average person spends five hours on TV every single day. That's probably underestimated. And most of us aren't really watching TV. Most of us are just clicking through channels. I got, I, I got uh, Xfinity, so we probably have eight, 900 channels. If you take out the music channels, it's probably 700. And I'm just sitting there clicking, 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 clicking. And it's amazing how you just get caught up in nothingness. Last night I was watching Animal Fights at Night. Animal fights at night, watching the hippos and the tigers and the bulls. And we were at my dad's house, and he was talking to us about hippos and their mating rituals. Man, you're talking about somebody that needs to stop watching TV. My goodness, I found some things that I can't now unsee. Five hours. Things that don't even matter, right? Caught up. I miss Chicago Med. That's one show me and my wife do watch together. And I'm not ashamed of that. You guys aren't looking at me like, I should be ashamed of Chicago Med. It's a wonderful show. Can't help it that it's a little on the feminine side. But it's time I spend with my wife. And most people spend 8.9 hours per, per day at work or in route to work. 
if you've got a long commute, right? I used to travel probably 45 minutes one way. So I'm, I'm spending an hour and a half in my car. And so we have to take those blocks of time. Most of us can't do anything about work, but we can curtail cell phone usage. We can curtail TV. And we've got to take those blocks of times, and we've got to invest those in who we and discovering who he is to us. Who, who do you say he is? Most people will say, let me check Facebook. Let me check Instagram. Let me see the latest tweet from T.D. Jakes. Let me tell you something. The latest tweet from T.D. Jakes ain't going to tell you anything about who God is. It's going to tell you about the revelation that T.D. Jakes got from spending time with God. Spending time in his presence with him every single day. We need quality time in his word and in his presence to discover who he is. We have to quiet our lives so we can hear his voice, turn off the distractions, and declutter our lives so we can hear his still, small voice. One of the things I've learned about God is he's always speaking, but a lot of times everything around us is so loud. That's one of the things that I've had to do. I have, I've had to stop. I have to go into the bathroom. I have four kids, two, two, one is 11, one is nine. And they are louder than any full stadium of Ole Miss fans or Mississippi State fans. It's amazing how loud they are. So I go in the bathroom, I close the door, and I turn on the fan because that drowns out all of the noise. And I sit and I listen because I'm convinced that a lot of us, and maybe me too, end up in relationships that God never wanted us to be in, in jobs that he never intended for us to have, in places that he never wanted us to be because we didn't take the time just to hear him. One of the things I love about GPS, and we use uh, GPS when we travel, is that I use uh, the Apple Maps now. And one of the things that's phenomenal about the Apple's map, and, and this may be Google Map too, I don't know, but it'll give you three routes, you know, this route, that route, and this route. And one of the things that it will also tell you is how long it'll take for each one of those routes. And most of us want to take the fastest and most efficient way to get wherever it is we're going. It is 14 hours and 32 minutes from here to Chester, Pennsylvania. So I wasn't interested in any detours. I want to get from here to there in the most direct manner possible. And the, one of the things about our lives that we have to understand is when we miss God, there's no amount of time that we can figure out that we missed by taking that detour. See, we don't know how many years we'll be in the wrong place because we missed that still small voice. We don't know how long we'll be at a job because we missed that still small voice. We don't know how long it'll take us to detangle ourselves from a relationship because we missed the voice. And I'm telling you, the most important thing for you is to hear him so you can obey him. Because I spent about a year and a half at a job that I'm sure maybe I wasn't supposed to take. Because I, I did what I wanted to do. And some of us are like that, right? Some of us know we shouldn't be in a relationship, but we're not trying to hear all of the people around us who have the good common sense. They're telling us, no, it's not the right person, especially if you're a parent and you're trying to tell your children, listen, I've seen this story before. For some reason, people younger than us think they've lived longer than us. 
They don't, they, we haven't seen this same story play out over and over and over again. But there are just times in our lives when we want to do what we want to do. We're not really interested in what God is saying. I took the job because they were paying me a lot more money than the other job was. That was like, that must be God. It, it has to be God. It's a lot more money, not just some more, a lot. And, and one of the things that I've seen the enemy do is, I, and, and I'm curious, he, I think he always does this, is right before God is going to do something that you've been praying about and you've been seeking him for, the enemy sends something that looks like the thing that you've been praying for. And you jump right at it because what do you say? It has to be him. But you still have to take a moment to step back, to listen to make sure that this route is the right route. That's what we've got to do. First Kings tells us something, verse 19, and this is coming from the Good News translation. It's just talking about how we hear God. And he says, go, go out and stand before me on top of the mountain. And the Lord, said, the Lord said to him, and then the Lord passed by and sent a furious wind that split the hills and shattered the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. The wind stopped blowing, and then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a soft whisper of a voice. And when Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing? And that's what God is in most of the time, not in the big giant things not in the big explosions around us he's in a still small voice that we have to be attuned to hear if you've been in a relationship any length of time or you have children one of the things that you can hear no matter what is happening is that person's voice I know what my wife's voice sound like we could be in a mall full of crowded people and when she speaks I hear and if you a mother it's amazing that has small children it, I mean, everything could be going on. The TV could be banging. Somebody can be playing the drums, a full band, a 20-piece symphony orchestra, and that baby cries, and that mother hears the voice because she spent so much time with that child, and she's, she's invested in that child's well-being, and that's how we have to get when it comes to God, God's voice, that it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter who's saying it. It doesn't matter how loud that outside noise is. We hear his voice. As we make time to hear his voice and act in obedience, we find out who he really is. When he tells you to sow a seed, I've been in that position, and, and you sow a seed, and then you get breakthrough, you find out that guess what? God really is a provider. And so now in your life, no one can ever convince you that God won't provide. See, for me, being out of work for six months, you can't convince me that if you tithe and you sow according to what God tells you to do, you'll ever have lack. It will not happen. It didn't happen for me. I'm talking about six months with zero income. Zero income. And he still took care of us. And, and the crazy thing, her and I talk because we're responsible in some ways. Adults. And we talked about, okay, well, uh, maybe we need to cut back this. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need, you know, we don't really need, you know, cell phones. We don't really need cable. We don't really need to do this, this, and that. And I was praying, and I heard God say, don't change anything. Now, that doesn't mean, remember I talked about personal revelation? That was his revelation to me. Don't take my words, and then you lose a job, and you don't make adjustments. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you what he told me. 
And so the rent was paid, and food was always in the refrigerator, and the car was paid, and the lights stayed on, and the water stayed running because I trust who he is. I took the time to hear his voice in that situation in my life, and he showed himself to be faithful. So I, I can't be convinced that God won't provide if you do what he tells you to do. We have a good friend of ours who's in Columbia, South Carolina, and she had breast cancer. She actually had a tumor that was encapsulated for eight years, and a crust had built around it so that it didn't get out and it didn't spread. And they were so in faith. They wouldn't even say, they didn't even say she had cancer. They wouldn't even mention the word cancer. And she said, I'm not having chemotherapy. I refuse to lose my hair, and I will have a total recovery. And I think it's been, it's five years later and those words, based on who God is, are true in her life. She never had to have chemo. She never lost her hair. And she's cancer-free because she believed in who God said he was. So now you can't convince her that God doesn't heal. And so when in our personal relationships, when we go through these things, when we have these experiences with God, it strengthens our faith so that now our faith is based on this word. It's based on the bedrock of who he is for our lives. And God wants to reveal himself to us. He wants us as his children to know who he is and to know his power in our lives and to know that we have victory in every situation and every circumstances. But we as children have to take the time to hear him. In Revelations 3, 15 through 20, he says, I know your works and that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were, you were hot, you were cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit, vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and do not need, I do, and do not know that you, you are a wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with my salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and they open the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. And so what God was really saying to the Laodiceans is, listen, you've gotten way too busy. You now lean on your job. You now lean on your friends. You now lean on everything else but me because based on your actions, you're saying you don't need me in your life. Based on how you prioritize me, you're saying, listen, I'm already rich. I'm already wealthy. I already have everything I need. I don't need you anymore. And he's saying, you don't even understand. You're wretched and you're poor and you're without me. But even though you have made it a point to reject me, I'm still standing at the door. That's how good God is. Even when we make decisions that are counter to what his word says, he says, I'm still standing at the door. I'm still knocking. I'm just waiting on you. Because as soon as you open the door, I'll come in. And I'll spend time with you. And I'll show you who he, are, who he is. In the commentary, it says, God desires to be admitted to our friendship. He does not obtrude himself upon us nor does he employ force to find admission to the heart. If admitted, he comes and he dwells with us. If rejected, he turns away quietly, perhaps to never 
perhaps to return and knock again, or perhaps never to come back. He's still waiting. He's still knocking. In Chronicles, he's, in Second Chronicles 15, 20, he says, And he went to meet with Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa and Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Our favorite scripture in James 4, 7, and 8 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and guess what? He'll draw near to you. Our movement has to be toward him. As we move toward him, as we begin to discipline our lives, as we begin to remove those things that are hindrances to us hearing his voice, he begins to move toward us. Some of us has it, have issues. Some of us has things. Some of, some of us have circumstances that we absolutely have to have God operate in. And all we have to do is move toward him. If we want to experience the victorious life God has designed for us, we have to know him. And to know him requires a complete reorganization of our life and our priorities. It will require sacrifice. And here are a couple practical things we can do to get to know him so we have an answer to who he is. The first thing we have to do is we have to discipline ourselves. It's the most difficult thing. One of the things that I knew when I got back into working out is I was not going to quit. I know it's going to take me six to eight months to get back to where I want to be. And so even though I get on the scale every time I go to the gym and my wife says, why do you do that? Because I really want to see some progress. But even if the scale doesn't show progress, I know that what I'm doing will lead to progress so I'm not moved by my temporary circumstance. So I've got to discipline myself to be committed to the action no matter what the result. And so as we start on this plan of spiritual discipline, you have to be committed to the action no matter what the result. You have to be committed to the action no matter what the result. We have to practice his presence. So we have to spend time reading his word, time in prayer. And one of the things that I'll tell you is prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation between you and him where you speak, and he speaks too. After you give him your list of requests, and I do it too. I've got a list of things that I want him to take care of for me, and I check all those things off. I pray for our country. I pray for my family. I pray for all those things. And then I try and take 15 minutes just to sit and be quiet. And the 15 minutes are more important than anything I could already tell God because he said in his word he knows what we need even before he asks. So he's not surprised. He's not waiting. He knows exactly what we need. What's more important is the direction that we give after we've spent time with him. So try and find, maybe not 15, maybe two minutes. Start, start with 30 seconds where you just sit and you hear his voice. Find you a plan in, I have the Bible app. It's you version. They have wonderful Bible plans that you can use. Take, find you something that will help you systematically read through the Bible. You know, it's hard for me to read the Old Testament. It just is. I'm not a... Uh, biblical scholar or anything like that uh, but I get caught up right around numbers and get through Leviticus and they start talking about uh, shepherds of barley and orphans of this and I, I just get lost and they start telling me about the lineage of every person in the Old Testament and I just don't find that to be valuable it's in there it's in God's holy word and I know it's important but it typically puts me to sleep so this new plan I have it only makes me read two Old Testament Old Testament chapters per day and the rest is New Testament and Psalms and that plan works for me. So find something that works for you. Find time to pray. I'm not telling you you got to pray for an hour. I'm saying prayer is simply a conversation with God. I talk to God the same way I'm talking to you. Find the time to do that. 
And one of the other things is we've got to we got to fast. You know, fa- fast. Some things only happen by fasting and prayer. I'll tell you when when we when I lost my job, um, I went on a three day fast. I went on three three day fast, and then I read Jensen Franklin's book on fasting, and um, he said at free will, they do a twenty one day fast. And that thing just, like, stuck with me. 21 days, 21 days, 21 days, 21 days, 21 days, 21 days, 21 days. So I had this argument with God, like, yo, God. And I talked to God like this. Hey, hey, uh, 21 days, man, is a long time. 21 days. That's 21 days without food. And he was like, yep. Right? But you, but you want to experience me, don't you? And I said, yep. And so... I went on a 21-day fast. So I'm living proof that you can go 21 days without food and not die. It feels like death. feels like death. My good friend who's a barber, I would go and spend time with him every single day. And every day he would make me go to lunch with him. Every day. And I'm sitting there watching him eat. And he's like, yo, you don't want to eat? I'm paying. I'm good, man. And so we went to the Chinese buffet like day eight. And I'm struggling now. I'm like a fiend, shaking and twitching and trying to, like, sneak over and get the gravy off his plate. And went to a Chinese buffet. He was like, no, I'm going to make you eat today. And I was like, no, man, I'm good. I don't. And so you'll be tempted and you'll be tried and people bring donuts and cakes and cookies. But I promise you that experience, the way you experience God on a 21-day fast, it's like, it's like nothing you can imagine. And I'm not telling you guys to do 21 days. Listen, personal. Remember, everybody's revelation is different. But I think you can do 21 minutes. I think you can skip a meal. I think you can fast breakfast. We all agree, right? We can fast breakfast. We can fast lunch. We can fast dinner. Start where you are. Start where you are. Find a good church, a good church home where you can be taught the word. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to surround yourself with people of like precious faith. And as painful as it is for me to say this, every church ain't a good church. Every place that you go to hear the word is not faith-filled people preaching the word. So find yourself a church where you can be fed, where the word can be taught to you on a level where you can understand it. I'm not deep. Uh, you know, Matt's a lot smarter than me if you ever want to talk to somebody about the word. If you ever want to talk to somebody like the deep theological things of the word, he can break it down, Calvinism. And all that stuff. I'm not that smart. I just, I, I, I never have been. But that, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, find somebody that can teach you the word, where you are, how you can understand it. So, because what we say up here, ultimately, is up to you to then go carry that out. So, find, find that church home. The second thing we need to do, and, and this is also a very painful process, is something called disassociation. Disassociation. Second Corinthians. 6, 14 through 15 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership with what partnership can righteousness have with wickedness or what fellowship does light have with darkness or what harmony is there between Christ and Belial or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And 1 Corinthians 15, 13 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts your good character. So you have to remove anything in your life that causes your causes you to miss God. And so all of us know that we have some relationships, some people, some places, some things that cause us to miss God. 
And more important than the powerful the power of association is the power of this association. When you are able to remove those things from your life. There's some things that listen, God is asking us to remove. The question is are we going to be strong enough in our faith to remove those things? One of the things that I'm grateful for, which is a good and a bad thing, is I've never really been moved by an inner circle of people. I have one or two, one, two friends, my wife being my best friend and, and Jonathan being my other friend. And so I'm never moved by people. Like, I don't need people's approval. I don't need you to tell me that I'm okay. I know I'm okay. And so sometimes we as believers have this people addiction. It's kind of like we need people to tell us who we are, and that's the only thing that fulfills us. Listen, in Genesis 30, in Genesis 1, 31, God says something that's phenomenal. After he made man in his image and in his likeness, he took a step back. He looked and surveyed all his creation and said, it is very good. And that's the only approval you'll ever need in your life. When God created you, He took a step back, and he said, it is very good. Nothing anybody else can ever tell you tops what God has already said about you. And so you're going to have to learn that you don't need this big group of people around you to validate who you are. You are who God says you are. And some of those people will lead you in a direction that you don't want to go. So we've got to find some time, spend some time in his, in his presence, praying, reading, fasting. And then we've got to analyze those people that we give a special place in our heart, those people who are connected to us in ways that they don't need to be connected to us. And we have to understand we need to break some yokes in our lives. So as the, as the band comes down, I want to en- encourage us. to find out who God is for ourselves. Now, maybe for some of us, we knew, we've heard his voice, and somewhere along the way, we started to move away from who he said he is. With, all, with, with every head bowed and all, all eyes closed,